So for those of you who have been hanging out with us for the past five weeks or so, you know that we have been in the midst of a teaching series called Building a Community of Love, and we have taken it as sort of the focus of this teaching time to ask the question, uh, what kind of community is it that God is calling us to build as a church, really as any church, but we're sort of filtering that through the lens of what God has maybe uniquely called us to do here as a community that meets on the corner of Freeman and Topeka and Oceanside, California. And we began this series with this particular passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. This is, of course, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's essential preaching. Everywhere Jesus went, the consensus is now at this point, looking back, in history, the best of our understanding is that this was Jesus's message. He preached this everywhere he went. It was the core of his teaching. And towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, is this familiar image. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, sorry, I lost my place there. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Next slide. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. And we sort of took that second portion, the city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden, and asked ourselves what might that mean for a church to be a city on a hill, especially in a culture where Christianity is increasingly not seen as a city on a hill. It's not seen as a light. It's not seen as a reliable source of goodness or wisdom or morality for the majority, possibly, of Americans. The largest single demographic of religious affiliation in the United States now are those who are nuns, those who are not affiliated with any particular religious tradition, and when you ask those folks why it was that they disaffiliated from their previous expression of religion, a very large percentage of them, roughly one-third of them, say that they left because of the church's immorality, essentially. It's incorrect teachings that hurt other people. And I know that for many of you, you may have left other traditions because that tradition's doctrines or teachings or way of speaking about women or LGBTQ people or people of color didn't sit right with you. And some of you have found a church like this where we at least try to be self-aware about those biases and try to wrestle with those biases. And you have said, well, this is a place where at least I, I can feel like we're making an attempt to be light and salt in the world. Some of you are still figuring that out. Some of you are trying to figure out whether or not Christianity is still good and whether or not that's what you want to be a part of. And that's okay. That's Part of growing up is learning how to affiliate with some sense of goodness. That's really the heart of our series. I'm not going to stand up here today and preach at you. Oftentimes at the end of a teaching series, we will have a kind of congregational conversation about the series we've been having. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to recap briefly what we've been talking about for the past five weeks. And then I'm going to ask you to share how this is sitting with you. I want to know how this is sitting with your heart, with your mind, how your body is responding to conversations about the idea of embodying a community of love. 
I want to know what this is stirring up in you and maybe what we've missed. If there's something we haven't discussed, I'd love to hear about that too. So we're going to go through just a quick little recap and we've got a handout for you today that sort of encapsulates what we've been talking about each week. And then I'm going to ask you to meet in small groups like we often do and have a conversation about it. And then I want to hear how those conversations went and that will be our time of learning for today. So in week one, what we learn from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, is that Jesus envisioned a community whose whole purpose was to conspicuously demonstrate love. To conspicuously demonstrate love. Not to love each other in a kind of hidden way, not in a protective way, not as, as a kind of escape from the world, but rather to embody the ability to love other people in public in a way that the rest of the world could see and could be inspired by and perhaps even learn something from. In week two from Acts 2, 43 to 47, we learned that a community of love involves making the intentional commitment to build relationships of mutual care. In Acts chapter two, you might remember, is that famous passage where after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit uh, is depicted as pouring out on all the disciples. And the result of that is this incredibly tight community of people who eat together, they spend time together, and they even help each other out when they're in need to the extent that they didn't have sole individual possessions. They saw their property as communal property. So if somebody else had a material need, then they were willing to move those material resources to others uh, in order to fill those needs. And that stands, I think, as a really stark contrast to the kind of world that we live in, including in churches where our stuff is our stuff, and if your problems are you know, difficult or complex or inconvenient for me, then that's really not my problem. Uh, and so I think that's a, a challenge for us to figure out how we might embody that kind of radical community of mutual care. And then in week three from Galatians chapter five, verses 22 to 24, we learned that this kind of community naturally produces love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that these are the evidence of God's Spirit. And that, I think, really establishes for us what the outcome of this project is supposed to be. And I personally, I don't know how this sits well with you, but I personally like to reverse the way that we tend to read that. The way we tend to read that in church is if you want love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all of those things, then you need the Holy Spirit. And so let me tell you how to get the Holy Spirit. You have to believe these 10 things, and then you have to, you know, let me pray for you. You have to let the right people pray for you. You have to be a right part of the right kind of church, the right kind of tradition, and maybe, you know, also speak some tongues too. throw that in there because we find that in Acts chapter 2, right? In other words, we establish all of these preconditions for receiving the Holy Spirit. But I think the exact opposite is true. I think this is a test. And the test is any community of people who exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control is a community empowered by the Spirit. And that's a very different way of looking at this. What it does is it breaks open the possibility that God might be moving in places other than the official sanctioned expressions of God. 
And that introduces an uncomfortable idea that maybe God's spirit is moving in other places. Like maybe God's spirit is moving with Baptists <laughs> or Episcopalians or Muslims or Buddhists. If goodness is the result of their community, then I think that passage teaches us that we can't judge it as not being from God. But that's what we should be looking for, that natural byproduct of God's work in our midst. And then from week four, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight, we learned that this kind of community is liberating because it empowers each of us to offer what we have in abundance, that is, our gifts. The things that we are sort of naturally good at, the things that we have been inspired or filled with by some source other than our own sort of hard work, that whatever it is that we're full of in goodness, that's what we're called to bring. And that is liberating. It's also unifying because each of us needs the gifts of others. No one of us, no single person has everything that we need in order to live a good, flourishing, thriving, fulfilled life. We need each other to live that life. And then in week five, we learn from Ephesians chapter two, verses 17 through 22, that our whole purpose is to build a community of love that offers liberation and goodness and fulfillment as gifts of grace by God's spirit. This is why we exist. This is why any community in the spirit and the tradition of Jesus Christ exists, to create a community that is conspicuously loving in the midst of cultures, including religious cultures, including Christian cultures, in the midst of cultures that are often the opposite of loving, cultures that are often authoritarian and controlling and not liberating, but rather uh, oppressive. And so our purpose then is to do this. Uh, and that is what we're called to do here, to build that kind of community of liberation and goodness and fulfillment by the grace of God's Spirit. Okay. So I'm the one who stands up here every week for whatever reason. You all let me have the microphone and the podium, and I talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But I'm curious how this is sitting with you. This is how I am interpreting and how I am processing this sense of calling that I think we might have as a community. But how is this sitting with you? How is this resonating with you? Or how is this maybe unsettling you? So I have two questions for you. Uh, number one, what resonates with you or unsettles you about these five descriptions? As we read through those together, what really makes your heart come alive? What makes it sing? What phrase or word or idea says yes in your heart? Like, this is what I want. Or what unsettles you? And it could be both. It could be that there are things about this that really make you excited and inspired that you want to be a part of. And part of these might frustrate you or frighten you or might just be something that make you angry because you disagree with it. That's okay. This is that kind of church. Uh, and then number two, most of this language that I'm using here, and this is intentional, 
But most of this language is about outcomes, right? A particular outcome of producing love. So my question is, what do you think this kind of community would actually need to do in order to learn that kind of love? The kind of non-controlling, non-authoritarian, liberating love that I think we see described in the New Testament. What do you think we need to do in order to make that a reality here? I haven't really talked much about that. I've hinted at it a little bit. Some of the passages have hinted at it a little bit. But I have very intentionally not stood up here for five weeks and said, here are the five things you must do in order to be liberated. Because that would be a bit ironic, wouldn't it? (laughs) But I do think there are things we need to do in order to live this out, in order to learn this, in order to become a community of practice. And any community that is bringing about goodness in its midst uh, is practicing something. These are skills I think that we can learn. All right, so I'd love for you guys to circle up wherever you are in groups of about, say, three to five, you know, maybe no more than five because it'll be too hard to have a good conversation if you have more than that. And I'm going to give you guys about 10 minutes to touch on these two questions. I'll check in with you at the halfway point, make sure that you're making some progress. And then after you discuss this a bit, then we're going to debrief. I'd like to hear from some of you uh, what it was that you talked about and what came up. Make sense? All right. Let's go. Also, for those of you who are at home, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can do this uh, on your own if you're alone or if you're somebody else watching with somebody else, just have this conversation for 10 minutes. And then you can add your comments on Facebook or YouTube as you're responding to these same questions. We are going to go ahead and debrief a little bit together, and as usual, we're going to ask Finn to be ready with the microphone. So it'd be it'd be lovely if maybe three or four of you would be willing to share what you heard in your group, right? So again, the questions were, what resonates with you? Uh, or unsettles you about these five descriptions of community, right? Uh, and then the second question was, what do you think this kind of community would need to, uh, to actually do to learn to demonstrate and teach love? So I don't know where your conversations went. It's okay if they went off track. Like I said, this is that kind of church. It's okay, it's okay if, uh, if your conversation went to a place that was maybe frustrated or even in disagreement. This is definitely that kind of church. Uh, So, uh, but I do think that the rest of us would benefit from hearing from a few of you what you talked about, what came out, what you unpacked, what was helpful to you. So my question is, what did you hear in your group that was helpful or encouraging or thought-provoking in some way? Anybody want to share? Dan up here at the front. Finn, can you go ahead and break? By the way, you will have a microphone, so people will hear you. That's a good thing. Um, but also people online will hear you, So just so that you know. But you're not on camera, so don't, don't worry about that. 
Dano, I think you had your hand up. The comments in our group were quite interesting. Uh, so in answering the questions one and two, we kind of combined our comments with answering both those questions at the same time. Mm. And I thought one of the things that was very conspicuous to us was the food bank that we do on Mondays. Okay, it's very open and very honest and very straightforward. Mm -hmm. It's a group of loving people that are giving their time, energy, talent to uh, put together food for people that need it. And so it's interesting to see that happen and it's interesting to see the clients that come and get that food and their reaction to that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very, very conspicuous. Yeah. Also, uh, it was suggested that it's why do we need to use words when actions speak louder than words? You know, do you, uh, do you need to uh, say that you're a Christian or do you act it? <laughs> And then the third thing that came out was uh, we all have different skills and talents and we all have different passions in our heart. And so if we follow that and if we stumble, we're human and uh, we ask for God's forgiveness and carry on with the passion that's in our heart. Mm. That's good, Dan. Thank you. Uh, one of your comments reminded me of something uh, from a week or so ago. You guys, most of you have heard this, but... There was a big controversy. There is ongoing controversy across the country at uh, school board meetings uh, where people are coming in to disrupt school board meetings, often around the issue of teaching of critical race theory or social emotional learning or the inclusion of LGBTQ friendly materials in school districts. So there's this concerted effort to disrupt school boards around this issue. And Janelle and I and several others in the community showed up at the Oceanside School Board meeting a little over a week ago to sort of counter-protest those things. And, um, and there's a bunch of activists, community activists there, one of whom was Rob Howard, who some of you might know, ran for mayor last, last time we had a mayoral election in Oceanside. And, and he's, a, he's a great guy, very active in the community. And we were talking to him on break and just talking about like the circus, sort of circus-like atmosphere and all of these folks who are parading up to the microphone and saying quite hateful things were often invoking the name of Jesus or God in support of those hateful things. And I was just saying that that was so ironic. And Rob Howard said, my daddy always told me if you have to tell people you're a Christian, there's something wrong with your walk. And I was like, I got to work that into a sermon. So... <laughs> So there you go. And I heard Dan just say that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like our actions really should speak louder than our words. Or it'd be nice if they were, you know, resonant or consonant with each other, right? They were aligned. So that's good. Anybody else? What did you hear in your group that was helpful or inspiring or motivating? Yes, Patrick over here. One second, Patrick. The microphone's coming. <laughs> so uh, we kind of all agreed that nothing really unsettled us in a lot of the teachings. Oh, and I'm going to have to work on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, what we all kind of seem to come from a little bit of the same background where we were all part of a, other churches before. And um, what we didn't like was, you know, they would tell you exactly 
this is love and this is what you have to do to, to get there. And um, what I like about this church is kind of what this example, um, this exercise exemplifies is, you know, dialogue and discussion. And love to me, um, the action of it is listening as a verb, you know, yeah. really taking the time to listen and understand and walk in someone else's shoes, um, you know, to, to, to really see what other people are going through, you know, rather than just your, your own actions um, uh, leading the way. So I think understanding and listening and open dialogue and um, self-awareness, like you said, is, is key to showing love. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Patrick. All right. I really agree with this. I think that where the rubber meets the road oftentimes in our ability to love is our ability to really listen to people who are different than us. Um, and like I think that might be the hardest thing in the world to do, personally, is to listen to somebody who's different than you. And I think while we have cultivated a very safe environment here, uh, much to my surprise and delight, um, the truth is, is we're all very similar in many respects. Um, people don't show up at the Oceanside Sanctuary or stick here for very long uh, unless they're very aligned with our values. You know, if you go to our website, there are you know, rainbow flags all over the front page, which is great. But it automatically excludes a group of people who are, they don't want to have anything to do with that. And, you know, in some ways that's good because it helps us to create a safe environment. But, but in other ways, we are creating, in some ways, a very monocultural environment. And so I think it's important that if we become a community of love, we learn how to engage people who are very different than us and exercise love and patience and peace and kindness and all of that in those you know, controlled, carefully like uh, structured spaces. And we've done that here before, pre-pandemic. We have had intentional like dinners where we engaged people who are very different than us and learned to really relate to people who are different than us. I'm hopeful as the pandemic becomes endemic uh, that we might be able to do more of that because I think that's really important. Okay, anybody else? What did you hear that was good or helpful? I think Alex has some comments to share online or he might have his own comment, which would be okay too. <laughs> I have both. Uh, the first one person said online, the world needs more empathy. Yeah. So I love that. I think it actually relates to kind of what we were talking about, um, this idea that uh, we feel we need practical tools to actually learn how to do these things, right? We can talk about being more empathetic, more loving, listening better, but how? Yes. Right, like what are some actual practical ways that we could do that and maybe learn to do that here with each other and then carry that out into the world. Um, I think the other thing that came up was boundaries, having good boundaries around this stuff because often in you know, Christian traditions, it's all about pouring out you know, until yeah. all of a sudden you have nothing left in your cup and then yep. you know, you've dug yourself into this huge hole. Yep. So learning how to Again, the practicality of that and learning how to do that. So that's what came up for us. Yeah. Um, so related to that, both those comments, I was telling Janelle this week that, uh, where did I say that I heard that? Do you remember where I said I heard this? 
little quote about uh, boundaries and empathy, compassion. I don't remember. Like, I'm always, like, attending these, like, seminars and conferences, you know, and recently I attended a symposium. I think it was at school. And uh, what I heard the speaker say, uh, well, the speaker was quoting Brene Brown, right? Everybody knows Brene Brown, right? Like Saint Brene, right? <laughs> I love Brene Brown. Uh, and uh, she speaks very deeply, although often implicitly from her Christian tradition. Uh, and so this speaker was quoting something from Brene Brown, who when she was doing research on compassion, her research question was, uh, what's, what is the factor, like the variable, that predicts whether or not people have more or less compassion? And in her hypothesis, she thought that the research was going to show that the factor that was most predictive of compassion was spirituality. She thought the research was going to show that people who identified themselves as spiritual uh, would be the people who had self-described, which has its own problems, right, but had the most compassion. And it didn't. She was surprised to discover that spirituality was not the common variable. The common variable was strong boundaries. The people who had the most sustainable compassion for others in need were people who knew how to take the time that they needed for themselves. And you can, of course, see how that could go wrong Right, um, But it's a really interesting insight uh, that in order for us to sustain uh, compassion, the way Alex, I think, is accurately describing, we do need to learn how to cultivate our own space. Um, so that's good. All right, anybody else? Yes, Lisa. Is it OK if we have you use the microphone? OK, just that way people online can hear. Yeah. So what you just said really resonated with me. Uh, it surprised me initially, but as a school psychologist, the thing that's kept me going for the last 30 something years is strong boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And I'm constantly, you know, when I mentor other school psychology students, that's one of the things I'm always telling them is you have to have good boundaries or you're gonna burn out. Yeah. And I think that was that's how why that works so well. Yeah. and why people are able to maintain empathy over a period of time is when you have those boundaries, you're protecting your own mind, your own heart, and your own emotions. And you're able to keep on keeping on because of that. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Lisa. I think there's an obvious way to see how church functions this way or could function this way. When we come together in spaces like this, like it, literally anybody can walk in the door, obviously. This is a public gathering. But really, the only weirdos who walk in the door are people who are interested in this sort of thing, right? So this becomes a kind of, I, yeah, I did just say that you guys are weirdos. So, so this, becomes a, this becomes a kind of bounded space where we get to talk about you know, things that we're wrestling with or learn from our tradition, uh, or when we have you know, groups or or studies or you know whatever all of these are kind of bounded spaces and then we leave those spaces and hopefully we go out into our workplaces our, our schools uh, our neighborhoods and we have more to give and that kind of um, toggling back and forth that kind of dialectic between protected space and 
you know, being out in the world to do what you've been called to do is, I think, a very healthy and important rhythm. You see that in relationships, too. Right? Relationships that are too enmeshed are very unsustainable, very unhealthy. But individuals who maintain their own identity in a relationship are much more able to love their partner. Like, this is applicable in so many ways. Um, so I think that's part of what we tried to lean into in a healthier church community, too, which hopefully we're you know, becoming healthier and healthier all the time. Okay. This is good. Anybody else? Yes, Mary, right over here. Finn doesn't have to work out on Sunday mornings when we do this. So. So one of the things we talked about as a group was that we're going to spend more time together and to good. get to know each other and be honest with each other and good. be who we are and let everybody see who we really are. That's good. That's good. Uh, that's a perfect segue because I'm going to plug small groups here in just a second. Um, but I do want to, I want to just key off of something that Mary just said that I hear here a lot. Like I talk to a lot of you all the time. You know, we have coffee, we have beers, we like hang out over dinner or whatever. And I'm always asking like, what's working for you about this community? What's not working for you about this community? Consistently, one of the things I hear from people on the positive side is that you can be yourself here. That you can be who you really are, right? Doubting, believing, agnostic, theist, you know, Christian, spiritual but not religious, um, settled in your religious identity or seeking, trying to figure it out. Like you really can be who you are here, uh, and I think that's a real gift. And so I and I'm grateful for that gift because it means. I get to be who I am here, and I get to admit that I drink beer, and sometimes I say that I get pissed. And you guys don't, oh, not, not, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, before the band like just finishes us up with a little bit of worship, I just wanna also key off of Mary's comment and take the opportunity to say, we had some small groups that met last fall, dinner and dialogue groups. And we're going to be relaunching dinner and dialogue groups for the spring. So that's coming up. You're going to start hearing details over the next two weeks. And these groups are going to be in Carlsbad, Oceanside, South Orange County, and possibly even uh, Escondido San Marcos. So there's going to be lots of options here. There are going to be groups in people's homes. There's going to be at least one group in a pub. So if you feel weird about you know, like going to somebody's home, then there's an option for you to go to a public place. I do think a key thing that we need to do in order to develop healthy community is spend time together. And I think that when we come here on Sunday morning and you largely hear you know, people like me talk or sing or lead us in meditations, that there isn't enough relationship building happening. And so that's why we are doing these small groups. If you're interested in one of those groups, Please grab one of these connection cards from the pew back in front of you. Put your name and information on it. And there's a little box here that says interested in joining a group. Just check that box and then pop that little piece of paper in that box at the back of the sanctuary right there. And we will help you connect with a group if you are interested in that. If you're not interested in that, that's okay. Again, this is a non-controlling community of faith. So you don't have to do anything here. Uh, but if that's something that you're feeling inspired by, I want to invite you to fill one of those out right now and then pop it in that little box on your way out the door. Would you guys pray with me as we finish up today? 
God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this series, this opportunity for us to explore what it might look like for us to continue to build a community of love here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. We pray that you would lead us by your spirit, that we would follow after what you are doing in our lives and in our neighborhoods, that we wouldn't force it, but that we would respond to the way that your spirit is guiding us and calling us and inspiring us to connect in deeper and more formative ways. And we ask that you would produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We would love to invite you to get involved in this church, in this community that you have chosen to join this Sunday, and so there are a couple of ways that you can get involved. First of all, um, I am a huge, huge fan of religious tradition and ceremony. It's something that helps ground me and provides me a space with which to connect in a very clear way to the divine. And one of the most beautiful ways that I've learned to do that is through the practice of Lent. Show of hands, who, who knows what Lent is? Okay, so some of us do, most of us seem to, and if you don't, this is a great space to learn about it in a safe and healthy way. And to begin these 40 days, our communal, community journey to the cross, we will start this Wednesday with an Ash Wednesday service. You are welcome to come here at 6.30 this Wednesday for a, a worship set, for a beautiful message, and for a brief ceremony where you will receive ashes on your forehead in the, in the shape of a cross to remind us that we are in unity journeying with Christ to this most important part of our tradition, the crucifixion and the resurrection that we celebrate with Easter. And so I implore you to find time to be here with us this Wednesday. And then for the 40 days of Lent, which we will celebrate with a sermon series on giving up toxic Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? We will have opportunities each day to sit with this Lenten practice. You can do that by getting a Lenten devotional. If you've never heard of that, come find me. I'll tell you what they are. Our band is going to be going through a 40-day Lenten devotional to be thinking about ways we can live into our calling to be uh, uh, stewards of God's love through social justice. So come on Wednesday at 6.30. At what time? And join us for the next 40 days for a, a sermon series on giving up toxic, toxic Jesus for Lent. Um, for all of these events and more, I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to fill out a Connect card so you can be involved with this community. And as a reminder, we as the Oceanside Sanctuary are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on the gifts and the donations of people like all of us in this space. So if you'd like to support our mission, I implore you to consider giving to this church, to our food pantry, to this building, to this community. Oh God, we are blessed to have space to worship in the Oceanside Sanctuary building and among your people. God, I pray that as we leave this place, we know that we do not leave the embrace of your love 
For through the love and support and kindness and generosity and justice of this community, we are forever in your presence. Let the people of God say amen. amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah.